good. First Corinthians 4, please. This is the um, fifth or sixth week in this series on disciples, being disciples. Oh, but we're actually going to start. We're going to turn to First Corinthians. We're going to start with our theme verse, which is Matthew 28. So our, let's look at our theme verse for the study, which is three verses, Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and, what's the word? Oh, you guys got to help me a little better than that, right? There's coffee back there if anybody wants a cup of coffee, if you missed it, all right? So go therefore and what? Teach. Now that word teach, we said, what, is the, what does that mean? Make disciples. That word is, is the Greek word, it literally means discipleize or make disciples. So the mission here is to go into all the world. Go, therefore, teach, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So this is Jesus' final words to the disciples, and he basically says, hey, disciples, you are going to go out and you are going to make disciples. So we have three principles Three principles that guide this discussion every week. And these are the three principles from the Bible, the making disciples principles. Number one, disciples make disciples. Who make? Who make? And it just keeps going, right? That's the, that is the, so each of us is to be engaged in some part of this journey of either being discipled, making disciples, or really both at the same time. All right. Ready? Number two. Let's try this one. The second principle for making disciples in the scriptures, Jesus gave the, the process and the pattern for making disciples. So the process is right there. You go, you evangelize, you baptize, and you teach them to observe all things. But the pattern is seen in the way it actually happened, in the way it materialized. And we've been looking at that. Really, that's the, every week there's a different way that we see the pattern. Well, this was the process that Jesus gave, but what physical, actionable things did they do to see discipleship take place? And we've talked about all kinds of good stuff. And then my third and favorite principle, I think is probably the most vital for us, is principle number three, discipleship involves who? The whole church. Discipleship involves the whole church. So, quick recap. First week was an intro, make disciples. The second week, we learned about having compassion in discipleship, then practicing hospitality. Verse, um, I'm sorry, week number four, we talked about how important it was to be an active assembler and how just the simple act of gathering for uh, the assembling of the church is so crucial to the discipleship process. And then last week was number five. We had a really good discussion on this one. And if you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back, watch the video on Facebook or YouTube, because we had a great talk about being involved in mentoring and that one-on-one -on -one relationship and how we ought to seek to be mentors to individuals and be mentored by other people further in the faith. And we had a great discussion about that. 
Well, tonight, if you want to open to the inside of the notes, you see tonight's topic is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So make disciples, lesson 6. Be faithful. Be faithful. Let's read the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. Let a man so account of us as of the minister's of Christ. Now, Paul is telling the Corinthian church, this is what I want you to think about me. And when he says us, he's referring to his companions in the ministry. So thus would be like Paul and Timothy and the, the, the other people that have been part of Paul's ministry team. He says, what do, how do I want you to think about us? What account should you take of us? Now, if you know a little of the background, this is important because the Corinthian church there were people there that were criticizing Paul. They were like, oh, you don't have to listen to that guy. He's not a real apostle. You know, Paul is nothing special. Don't listen to him. So Paul is kind of setting the record straight, but he's giving them some guidance here. And I want, so I want you to see this. So he says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Boy, there's a lot of key words in that verse, wouldn't you say? Just go, just take a minute with your pen. Maybe if you don't like to write in your physical Bible, maybe underline some things on the notes, because I put the text on the notes there. Maybe underline or mark some key words that really stand out there and see how they follow through the passage. So verse 1, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Verse 2, let's read this one out loud together. Verse 2, begin. Moreover, one more time, let's start again. Ready? One, two, three. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Hope you're underlining, marking. Verse 3, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judged me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. What words did you underline as you walked through this, as we went through this? Somebody just tell me a couple of things that, uh, tell me the first word that if you're, how many of you are like, when people are like, oh, you should underline or make notes, you like have, or you're, maybe you're a highlighter? Anybody is a highlighter, you like to use highlighters, and you underline and highlight every word because you're like, I just don't know, and I'm just underlining them all. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody know what I'm talking about? You're just like, oh, that one's good, that one's good. So maybe, you, maybe you're one of them, but maybe you're not. What, what did you see as themes throughout this passage? Who, can, who, who wants to start? What did you underline or what stood out to you as, as key words, key concepts in this? Stewards, yeah, that's a really important word in there is stewards. We'll talk about that. What else did you underline or mark or circle or highlight? Anybody? Uh, thank, you, thank you, Jim, for your great participation. I'm counting on you here. So we might come back to you, but I, gotta, I want to see if anybody else. Yes, Carla. Ministers, I like that. Yeah. What else? What did you mark? Don't be shy. Jump right in. Yes. Oh, required. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the requirement. Faithful, obviously, is the key that I'm taking from the whole thing. What else? Anybody, Mark? 
I thought the idea of judgment comes up later on. Yeah. That's significant later on. Okay, cool. Well, let's set up the discussion this way. I'm going to put these two words, and you see them right here. Fan versus follower. Fan versus follower. And then fads and phases versus faithful. Fads and phases versus faithful. We live in a fad-driven culture. I think you probably would agree with me. And that doesn't mean that universally everybody's into fads. But take a minute and think about this. People often move through phases. Can you give some examples of this? I'm just looking for pop cultural or general everyday life. Write down right now. We'll t I'll give you a minute. I'll give you a quiet minute to write down some examples of, do you agree with that statement? And if you do, if you do, give some examples of the fads and the phases that people might move through in our culture today. Let's do it. I will sip my coffee while you write, Billy. You writing busily back there. All right, 15 seconds. How, are, how do we see this phenomenon today of fads and phases just in the general culture around us? Who wants to go first? Who would you write down? Josiah. Good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a serious one, but you're very true. You got to speak loud because we've got an air conditioner going. He said they're partners. And yes, people go through, they burn through relationships like fads and phases sometimes. And that's unfortunate, but that's definitely, that you're definitely correct. What else do we see? Frank, you had something? Okay, sure. Social media. Deborah? Now it's whatever, you're still on Facebook? Okay, so there's media phases. Yeah, it's like, it's like uh, when I was uh, coming into college, it was MySpace, and then it moved to Facebook. And what is it, uh, Kira, what is it now? What's the, do you know? It's TikTok. Your dad knows. But <laughs> memes. Memes, yeah. You can't use old memes. You can't use old memes. <laughs> That's a good point. What else? What are other things in our culture that are maybe fads or phases? You see it around us that people go through. Huh? Sure, clothing styles. Huh? Vaping. Yeah, like substances. People go through, like, that's, that's a good one. Like, vaping was all, it's all the, was all the rage. I don't know if it still is, but it, yeah. What about uh, diets, right? Diets are, are very much... Uh, fad or phases, and people go from, they try one, and they go to another. We, go, we also call them kicks, right? And somebody's like, oh, they're on a health kick. Anybody ever been on a health kick before? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Now, there is a difference between somebody who goes on a health kick and then somebody who has a faithful approach to their diet and lifestyle, Right? So I talked about the health kick, and I was, looking at, at, I was looking at Bill, because Bill is actually, I think, an example who, of someone who is a very faithful 
dietary person. He's got a regimen, foods he eats. As long as I've known him, he sticks to it, unless there's secret sins I don't know about. But <laughs> not, oh, not enough. But he's humble, too. He's humble about it, too. But yeah, so, so how many of you have moved through these kinds of phases in your life before? This is something you've participated in. Okay. I think we all have. And it's, it's just part of exercise phases, sports phases. I went through a phase, people say. I was going through a phase. Well, question number two. Let's take a little bit more time for you to write some thoughts on this one. How do you think this can relate to Christianity? Are there fetter phase Christians? How would you describe them? Let's take a minute and think a little bit more deeply on this one and write some, some thoughts down. What do you think? How do you think this relates to Christianity? Are there fad or phase Christians? How would you describe that them or you at that moment? We'll think of it that way. All right. Let's see. What did you what did you put down? Somebody, anybody, help me out here. Did you put anything down, Bill? You're, I see it. You don't know? You're not sure? No. Well, that's a good point. It shouldn't. I see what you're doing there. Josiah. Okay. Right. So people sometimes are like at full throttle for the Lord, and then they back off. They do it again. Yeah, I, I, I definitely have observed that. Frank? In church attendance, on again, off again. Yeah, I've observed that. People are like, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to do this thing. And be, it could also be things like Bible reading or prayer. Like, man, I'm going to do this thing. And then we wane away and come back. Yeah, for sure. What else? Any other? Yes. Right, so that's the, I, I believe this information about Jesus, I accept that, and so that's the extent of my Christianity. Okay, yeah, Carla? That's very common. That's very common. And sometimes it's things like worship style. Sometimes, there's, sometimes it could be like, you know, what I expect, how I expect the people to behave. Yeah, that's a, very insightful that people go through those kind of phases. Where if, the, if everything is perceived how I think it should be, if everything is how I think it should be, I'm fully engaged, 
if it's something's not exactly how I think it should be, I'm not going to be faithful to this. Yeah? Good, good. Yeah, yes, sir, over here. Yeah, you've been around long enough to know that like when it comes to evangelism or church growth, people are like, oh, you gotta do this cool thing, or you gotta, this is how you attract people, or this is what people, and in some ways, by doing that, we're appealing or we're we're substantial or advancing the whole phase and fad mentality of it. Yeah, that's a that's insightful as well. Somebody else, what did you put? How does this yep? Yeah, well, I, th I, think, I, I think that ties in with what Carl says, is that we don't want to, yeah, why do we choose what we choose or do what we do? You know, it's, it should be all to glorify the Lord. So phases and, um, and fads, I have, I have, how many of you, when you became a Christian, somebody said, maybe a family member or a friend, oh, they are going through a religious phase. How many of you had, anybody, do you had people think of you that way maybe? I've seen that a lot where people, they commit their life to Christ and people think, oh, this is a phase, it will pass. Does that happen in some people's lives sometimes? It does. We're called to faithfulness. So let's do this. Final question and then I'll give you the, the four thoughts from this passage. Final question, write this down. So in contrast to all of those things, Give me your definition in your own words of a faithful Christian. Not a perfect Christian. We know that none of us are perfect. But how would you, if I said, hey, what's a faithful Christian to you? How would you describe that person? Go. Write it down. Let's see. Let's get some good definitions here tonight. Give it 30 more seconds to write, how would you describe a faithful Christian? Paul says here, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. How would you describe a faithful Christian? In your own words, what did you write down? What did you put? Somebody? Who will go first to share what they wrote? Don't be shy. Okay, great. Somebody else, what did you put down? Yes, Carla. Obedience, yeah. 
One word, simple. That sums it up. That's good. Frank, would you put? Puts the Lord first? Sure. Somebody else. What did you write? Jim Thompson. Oh, a person who believes God's word is their final authority and practices such in their daily living. That's good. That's very good. Yeah. Now you can still share even if yours isn't as thorough as that. It's okay. So. Regularly active in ministries and worship. I'm glad you put those two things together because that's... um. This is this passage in First Corinthians is a lot about doing, serving, yeah, ministry. Yes, sir, Jason. God before all things, yeah, Amen. Somebody else, what did you put? Bill, are you you look ready, but you didn't raise your hand, but you're like, call on me. I could see it. Yeah. Good. Awesome. I would put someone who both starts and finishes well, in addition to all those things that have been said. There's a lot of people that start with a big bang, you know, and there's this big impressive, oh, look at all the potential there. But it's not always how you start so much as how you finish. Paul would say, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He embodied faithfulness. And a lot of people have had great starts only to fizzle at the finish. Anybody, any other thoughts on that before we move on? Okay. Let me give you four things now. Principles for a life of faithfulness. And there is a typo because I copy and paste my notes and then I edit them for the new lesson. So I missed this typo, it is not 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. It is, in fact, our passage, 1 Corinthians 4. So you can just take that pencil or pen and cross that glaring error out, and we'll be good. So principles for a life of faithful, faithfulness. This is from 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. Notice this in verse number 1 again. So back to the verses we read earlier. Let a man so account of us as ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Point number one, two words, ready? Understand your position as a, what do you think the next word is? Anybody from the verses we just read? You got two guesses, so you got a 50% chance if you're looking at it. So your position as a, I put steward. You could have said minister, but I'm going with steward. So uh, if you want to live a life of faithfulness, it begins with understanding your position as a steward. Now, I think a minister is a description of the responsibilities of a steward. Um, so understand your position as a steward. In simple terms, what is a steward? What is a steward? You see steward is the operative word here because in verse number two, he says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So we need to understand our position as stewards. What's a steward? A manager. A manager. Yeah. 
Not a manager of people, per se, but a manager of resources or property, right? So a steward was the person that was responsible to manage the household or the property, the belongings, the possessions of the master. Did the steward own any of the things that he was entrusted with? None of those things belonged to the steward. The steward had to understand that. He had to understand that the decisions that he made regarding this, were, were they whose benefit and whose benefit did he have to act? For whom was the steward acting? For the master. He is serving as a steward. Things were entrusted to him and he managed them. So is it interesting that we are described, not just here, but we're also described in the, in the parables of Jesus as stewards. We are given a spiritual responsibility. And Paul says, here's how I want you to understand. I, I'm not somebody great. I'm not. He could have been like, hey, this is what I want you to think of me. I am the great apostle Paul. I am author of much of the New Testament. I am the famous evangelist, church planter extraordinaire. He could have said any of those things. Education, talent, all these things he had. But he said, you know how I want you to think of me? I want you to think of me as the manager of the master's property. The kingdom belongs to God. Everything belongs to him. I am simply God's manager. I've been entrusted with a responsibility. So we need to understand our position as a steward. Do you think uh, sometimes we start to act like owners instead of stewards in our lives? Yeah. I go back to that example that was mentioned, like Carla was talking about if people are, if people are, uh, they get upset about things that don't go their way. But the fact is, you don't serve me, right? I don't serve you primarily. Primarily, we are responsible to whom? The steward, right? We act like owners when we view our time as our own. We act like owners when we view our resources as our own. And we think, we, th we think, you know, well, I've worked for everything I have, and I've earned it, and I paid for it with my own money. But who do these things really belong to? They belong to God. When we begin to think like owners instead of managers, that's setting us up for a life of unfaithfulness, not faithfulness. It's an important principle in life to think of that. I am simply God's stewards. And as steward, I am a minister. Do you see that back in verse number one? Stewards are, let's go back to verse number one. Stewards are ministers of Christ. When he says minister, is he referring to the office like we think of as a pastor is referred to as a minister? Is that, is that his mindset here? That title didn't even exist. At that point, minister isn't a biblical office. Minister is a, is a descriptor. What, what would the minister have been? In the, what is a minister in this context? A servant. It'd be a servant. It'd be the person that gets the food on the table. It'd be the person that, person that picks up the laundry. It'd be the person that mops the floor. In the culture of the day, that's a minister. It's not the person that is, you know, in charge and responsible. He says, no, I am just a servant. I'm the servant of Christ. 
and he'd use different words for this. He would also use the word of the day for a slave. And in other places, he would say, I am the slave, the servant of Christ. And so he had, instead of, one of the things that causes people to not be in it for the long haul in their Christian life is when they forget their place. Because if I start to think like an owner, then I have a lot of expectations. But if I'm just a minister, I'm just a servant, then I'm going to be okay. I've quoted this before. Some of you have heard me say it before, so I apologize for that. But how do you know if you have the heart of a servant? Because a lot of people say that, right? Well, brother, I just have the heart of a servant. I just want to serve. How do you know if you have the heart of a servant? Well, I heard it put this way. See how you respond when someone treats you like a servant. See how you respond when someone treats you like a servant. Now, that's not an excuse for someone to speak harshly or rudely or anything like that. But what if they did? But what if somebody did? How would you respond? This is a hallmark of Christianity. Whereas in most cultures, American culture and most cultures, we stand up for our rights. Right? There's a place for that. But there's also a place for the Christian demeanor to say, you know what? It's not about my rights. I am simply a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm your servant, as Paul would say, for Christ's sake. That's a very Christian principle that's sometimes lost among Christian people. So number one, understand your position as a steward. Number two, number two comes from verse number two. And Jim Thompson called attention to this. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Number two, fulfill the requirement of the master. Fulfill the requirement of the master. Why? Not a trick question. Why? Because because he's the master. Right? Because he's the master. We don't we, we tend to resist when people say, well, there are some requirements. And or you know, there are some requirements. There are some expectations. Yeah, requirements. That doesn't sound a whole lot like grace, right? There's some requirements around here. We spoke a little bit about this on Sunday, actually. That there are requirements. It is a privilege, it is an honor to be a servant to the king. And I just need to remember this that he is the master, I am the servant, and he has some expectations of my life. Do you think he has a right? Do you think God has a right to that, to those requirements? Of course he does. Why? Why? That's the starting point right there. Because he is God. That's not the ending point, though. There's even more to it than that. That could be the start, and that's all we need, Right? He is God, so he can set whatever requirements he, he, he would like. But why else are these requirements completely appropriate? It's for our good. Absolutely. That's a great thing. A human master or boss, can you always be confident that their requirements are for your good? And it, from a human, 
Frank, you had some bosses that you didn't like too much, I take it. So come on. It's, you cannot, yeah, you can't always be confident. We have good, good bosses, good authority in our life sometimes, and then we have some that are self-serving, and we know they're only requiring things of us for their own benefit. But with our Heavenly Father, with God, we know that every single thing He requires is for our good and for our benefit. Yeah. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, bristle at the commandments and the requirements of God. We should embrace them as for our good. Why else is this wholly appropriate, completely appropriate, for us to embrace the requirements that the Master has for us? Because of who He is, He is God. Because of His good and gracious nature in giving us those requirements, why else? Back to Carla. Yeah, it brings us... Yeah, they're designed, that kind of expounds on that. In, in, for our good, it's bringing us in a in closer relationship with him. Why else? Why else are these things? Yes. Yeah, look what he did for us. We are his servants because he purchased us. He purchased us from the slavery of our sin. He, he rescued us from the bondage of sin and he paid the price so that we could be both his children and his servants. And what was the price? What was the currency that he used to pay for our freedom? His blood. He paid with his blood. So for him to ask of us, he asks nothing except our simple faith to receive his grace. But then he says, now, as you walk as my child, it's required that you be faithful. It's a, it's a reasonable expectation for us. And sometimes we just need to get over ourselves, right? Anybody ever say that to you before? You just need to get over yourself. Sometimes we do. And we just need to say, you know what? I am a sinner saved by grace. If God is asking me to do this, he knows what's best. He knows what's best for me. He is God. He has saved me. I'm just going to get in line. I'm just going to follow God's plan. I'm just going to believe that I don't know best. He knows best. And I shared that on Sunday morning that there's something, it's not easy, but there's something simple about the obedient Christian life. It, it uncomplicates my life. Instead of giving me a myriad of choices and potential missteps and miscalculations, it gives me a path that I can walk on. So, we, so these principles for a life of faithfulness, understand your position as a steward. Fulfill the requirement of the master. Thirdly tonight, thirdly, I love this one. This, this might be my favorite one in here. Be secure in your stewardship. Now this I really like. Be secure in your stewardship. Look back at passage and see what happens next. This is pretty cool. Verse number three. Verse number three. But with me, it is a very, what's he say? It's a small thing that I should be judged of who? You. That's interesting. He's kind of he's like letting him have it here a little bit. Right? It's a small thing that I should be judged of you. You guys want to judge me? Okay, have at it. And they were judging him. That's why he's writing this. He's saying, listen, so put it in the context. 
I'm a steward of God. It's required that a steward be found faithful. And it's a small thing if I'll be judged of you, or as a matter of fact, not just you, but who else? Who else? Anybody, right? It's a small thing if I be judged of you or anybody else. In fact, I'm not even too concerned with what who thinks of me. <laughs> Myself. You talk about somebody that is secure. He's like, you know what? I care what you think of me about this much. And I care what anybody else thinks of me. About. And you know what? I don't even trust what I think of myself. How many of you sometimes have too high opinion of yourself? How many of you sometimes have too low opinion of yourself? Both are wrong. Some people struggle with ego. Some people struggle with self-defeatism. Wait a minute. Who's the master? Who's the master? God is. Are you my master? No. Am I your master? Is anybody out there? Am I my own master? Are you your own master? So we need, to dis we need to stop worrying about what other people think of our Christian life and make decisions as if Jesus' opinion is the only opinion that matters. And do you know why? Because that's it. That's all that matters. Yes, sir. Is that security a fat or a phase? I'm going to say it's a phase that I just hope I could stay in. Because we go, you're right. It's like, man, it's like, I feel secure. Like, I'm living for God. God accepts me. But all oh, these people don't like me. Or they, they, they don't support the decision I made. Or, and now I second guess myself. That can rock your world, right? But if you go back to, I'm going to honor God with this. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. I feel like, I feel like, and again, I don't have Bible on this one, but I, in my experience, people, they just trade off their securities, right? Like, in school, you're really concerned with what your peers think of you, right? And then I see people, well, I still see that even as adults, people are really concerned with what their peers think of them. Or there's a social group that they're a part of, and they're really concerned with that, with that their, their friends think of them. Or maybe other people are really concerned with their family. Or some people have, are so independent, they're like, you know what? I don't really care what those people think of me because I'm my own person. But now who are they, where is their security based? In themselves. So Paul is, is teaching us through, through the Holy Spirit that neither of these, neither of these is where he's got to find his security. Verse number four. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judges me is who? The Lord. Can you lay your head on your pillow at night and say, God, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm trying my best to obey your word, to follow you. And I made these decisions for your glory, and I believe that it's right. And if you can answer that question, yes, then don't get all bent out of shape with what people say about you. I have a good friend who's a pastor, and he's a mentor of mine. And he said, you know what? As I've been a pastor, I have people criticize me for being too liberal. And then I have people criticize me for being too strict and too conservative. He's like, 
I, I, yeah, some people call me a legalist. Some people call me a liberal. And he's like, you know what? You can't please people. You just have to know that you're seeking to please one person, and that is to please the Lord. And we've got to be secure in that. So now, it's helpful to have wise people in giving input in your life, but ultimately, your stewardship is to God. Don't judge another man's servant, he says. For we, we stand before the Lord. Be secure in that. Help your children to be secure in that. You know, parents, we have an important job. Our kids are not going to do everything like we do it. Cover your ears, if you care, because your dad's sitting right next to you. We, we don't want you know, so don't listen to this part. But our kids are going to do things differently. Now, if these are major areas of life that the Bible speaks about, we need to, we need to address that. But let's face it. We all have opinions about things, don't we? We have certain ways that we think uh, you ought to do things and behave and all of that. Some of them are in the Bible. Some of them are just the way we like it, let's be honest. It's the way we like it. And if we, if we, and I've seen people make this mistake over the years, every strongly held belief that a parent has, sometimes they make it sound to their kid like that is what the Bible says. Well, what they're doing is they're taking their opinions, they're making them biblical, and they're forcing that on their children. That's a dangerous thing to do. Because now we're speaking in the place of who? Speaking in the place of God. It's wrong to take away from God's word. But it's also wrong to what? Add to God's word. So we've got to be okay that says, you know what? If I'm confident that my... I, I need to be raising my children. And, and we're all going to do it to varying degrees of success. But I need to try to raise my children to say, you know what? The most important thing isn't what dad or mom thinks about this. You have a relationship with the Lord. What does the Lord think about this? What does God think about what you're going to do? Now, I'm not advocating, a, 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 as your children are in the home, I'm not advocating a super permissive environment in your home. You need to structure your home and, and shelter and protect and all those things. But we also have to be a point where we're training them up to think for themselves. And to be able to sometimes have, I'll have, my 14-year-old will sometimes, he'll, we'll have a discussion about a topic and he'll push back a little bit sometimes. And I try to welcome that. He's not being disrespectful, but I want him to be able to think and reason on his own and have a biblical foundation. Because ultimately, at the end of his life, he's not going to give an account to me. Who's he going to give an account to? To the Lord. And I want my children to understand that and how important that is. I want to lead them to the Lord. I don't want to take the place of the Lord in their lives. Come back and see me in 15 years. Ask me how it went. Because I'm just like you. It's, I'm not saying I'm getting it right. I'm saying what I'm trying to do. All right. And that brings us to the last point. Point number four. Point number four. Be prepared for, yes, I know all caps is yelling, but I did it anyway. Be prepared for your judgment. Be prepared for your judgment. Verse number five. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. 
what he's saying here is don't live to make other people happy. Because you're not looking for the praise of people. Whose praise are you looking for? God. There is a day that, yes, Christian, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we know from the scripture, when we, if you're saved, if you know Jesus, you're not going to stand at a judgment seat of heaven or hell, right? That's been determined already. If you're in Christ, you escape the great white throne judgment. There's no great white throne judgment for believers. Heaven is secure. But the Bible says that in heaven there will be reward and there will be loss. We will all stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we'll give account for our lives. And you won't give account. There'll be at the judgment seat, there will be no excuse. At the judgment seat, when he says, Hey, you were my child, you can't say, Yeah, but my parents, they influenced me this way. Did I give you my Holy Spirit? Did you have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Well, you know, my church wanted to do this, so I went along with that. Did you have the Holy Spirit? Your church doesn't give an account. Well, your church does give an account for you. Pastors give account for their stewardship of the church, which is a scary thing, too. I believe that fathers will give account for their homes. But you understand what I'm saying. Ultimately, for your life, you are responsible before God. So listen now carefully. Don't let anyone else make your spiritual decisions for you. Don't let anyone else, and don't, don't feel secure. Don't say, well, my pastor thinks this, so I'm okay. You are accountable to God, and I am accountable to God. Yes, Carla, what were you going to say? Huh? Yeah. Well, a person will, so there's two judgments. There's a judgment for those who don't know Christ, and that's the great white throne judgment, and they will have to give account for themselves. Then in a similar but not as severe way, there is a, the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, where Christians give account for their life as believers, what they did for Christ. And in that day, it'll all be revealed. So we must realize that, that we are stewards and my calling is to be faithful. I want to finish well. If I concern myself with pleasing this person or that person, I'm going to be steered off course. Because ultimately, I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my master. I give account to him. So it's both liberating and also a little challenging, right? Because... One mentality is like, well, I don't care what you think about me. I only care what he, oh, I care what he thinks about me. That's kind of serious. So you can just say that, well, I don't care what people think about me. I only care about what the Lord thinks. Well, ask that question honestly. Are you really thinking about all that entails? It's a serious thing to have to give account of your life to God. So. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Part of discipleship is just faithfulness. Will you still be at it five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, or 50 years from now? Faithful. Where we could say with Paul, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Any closing thoughts before we wrap? All right.
Very good. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much that we could have this time tonight. I pray that you'd just help us each to, Lord, just be secure that in your calling on our lives and that we're following you, Lord. Help us to be free from the opinions of others and very concerned with your will for our lives. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.